Hello, everyone, and welcome to Holy Smokes, the Preacher Podcast. My name is Josh Carter. I'm Brett Bird. And we are here today, coming back at you, talking about Preacher episode number two. Um, this episode was entitled C. It was directed by Seth Rogen and written by Sam Catlin. So part of the team from the pilot is returning for this episode. Um which was a pretty wild and crazy episode, if I do have to say so myself. It pretty much it had a lot to do with the comics, but also a lot that was outside of the comics. And a lot that caught me really by surprise. Um, what did you think of this episode, Brett? I had no idea that Seth Rogen directed it. He did. He did a great job. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a really fantastic episode. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I thought so as well. Uh, yeah, I had no idea he directed that. That's very surprising. That's news to me. Um, so yeah, um, to talk a little bit about the format of the show, I have read all of the comics that have to do with Preacher. I have not. Um, so that's kind of how we come at this. We, I will talk what I can about what I think is going on, uh, doing my very best not to spoil anything. Um, and then Britt kind of comes at it from a standpoint of giving her honest reaction to it as a TV show. Um, would you say that's right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do not Wikipedia things. I, I try my best to avoid the temptation. Um, I haven't actually been on Tumblr in a few days just because I've wanted to avoid what will, what will inevitably come across my dashboard um, and potentially give anything away. So I'm doing pretty well. I'm pretty doing good. I'm, I'm doing pretty good so far. Um, <laughs> I know I know very little about this show. So uh, this episode, especially introducing elements as far as uh, some flashbacks, uh, some new characters. Um, yeah, I, I was completely in the dark. I was I was enjoying it from a completely fresh perspective. Yeah. And it's it's a lot to take in this episode. Um when I was doing my notes, taken down kind of scene by scene what goes on, I didn't quite remember <laughs> exactly how much info you're given, how much new stuff takes place in this episode. It, it's really, it feels like something that on any other TV show would be about three episodes. Um, yeah, that's true. But this one, they crammed it all into one, and it still works. Yeah. It works incredibly well. Um, so yeah, let's jump straight into the recap. Uh, we start off in 1881 in Texas. Um, did you have any idea what was happening? None, none whatsoever. In this whole sequence? No. Um, I, I didn't really get, uh, any sort of a level of threat really until the shot of the man in his eyes. Um, that's when I kind of realized then, oh, there's something off about this situation, um, and then throughout the whole, the rest of that, uh, I, that, that whole sequence with the flashback, um, from that shot forward, it was, there was definitely a, a level of, um, danger underneath all of that, which mm -hmm. was very exciting. Uh, it really drew me in and made me ask, okay, who is this guy? Why is he important then? And is he going to be important to the story now as it's being told in 2016? The answer is yes. I mean, I figured, obviously. Um, he is one of my favorite characters. 
Um, if you remember back to our last episode, I pointed out an Easter egg to this character, which is given away in the fact that the whiskey that right. um, Cassidy drinks in the bar in the first episode is named Ratwater. Right, which we here, see. Yeah, we, we see, see the town of Ratwater sign mm-hmm. by a tree uh, ornamented with uh, dead De- Native Americans. Yeah. Now, yeah. did he kill those Native Americans? No, I think they're just setting up the the harshness of that kind area. Kind of the time of the, <clears throat> mm-hmm. the, the country and that specific part of Texas. Yeah, and it, okay. it, it really follows up, you know, with what the... He meets that traveling band in the caravan and right. the, the man, you know, tries to ask him if he's a believer in God and that this land is holy is what he says. And he says, no, no. He, you know, yeah, this, he's like, this land is this full land of pain. Is a paradise. And he says, do you believe that answer, answer? Yes or no. And all he says is it ain't. It ain't. Yeah. He's a he's a man of few words. Um, he will be a major player going forward. I jumped for joy. That's interesting. When okay. I when I realized well, I realized what that shot of the little girl was when she started coughing, I was like, "Oh my god, they're actually doing it!" Okay, I got so excited. Um, do you want me to tell you his name? No. Okay. Well, for the rest of you, you can go look that up somewhere else. Um, but he is a major character. He's one of my favorite characters, and I am so excited that they are going to even attempt to do this character because it's very bizarre um and he he's got a bit of a rough road ahead of him so i think we'll be seeing more of him throughout season one um and that takes us to the title card which then we come out into a kind of a bizarre scene uh almost filmed with like a fisheye type lens jesse aggressively baptizing people yes like there's there, there's no other way to, other way to describe it. He's aggressively baptizing people, um, which was really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, he's taking his newfound hope and energy of being a preacher and and really putting it to use, um, which we see throughout this episode. Uh, but also, there's that struggle. Still, I love um, his and Tulip's interaction. <laughs> yeah. He, he, yeah ducks her and then she winks at him and he's just like dead gummit yeah this girl's this girl's gonna get under my skin and just gonna not go away um and then she you know pops up and is like thanks for getting me wet (laughs) (laughs) just just a great little tulip moment um in this episode lots of lots of great tulip moments in this episode for sure yeah there were there's a couple really good ones um but yeah we pan over from the baptisms and we see Fiore and DeBlanc, the two <laughs> world travelers that we saw in episode one, um, watching Jesse baptize these people. And, you know, one of them says it doesn't make any sense. Um, that it's something that's bizarre, uh, for a number of reasons. One, because those two characters are so mysterious too, because we don't actually know what the force that they've been following is. Um, and then three, for everything that happens in the rest of the episode. Um, but yeah, do you, uh, do you think you understand any more of who Fiore and DeBlanc are? I don't, um, but 
I rewatched the episode today on AMC's website, and I think that was a mistake because um, interspersed in the commercial breaks was just a general clip of the whole season. Uh, mm. And it was cut with a scene of them where they're clearly like beat up, but they're calling someone. Um, and the other one is kind of coaching the other on what to say. So I know that they're alive again. Well, you find that out in this episode too. You do? Yeah. At the very end when Sheriff Cassidy is burying them, we think he's burying them oh, and then it cuts back to the hotel and, and they're and there. You're right. Sheriff you're Root. right. Okay. For yeah. some reason I've completely forgot, <laughs> completely forgot about that. Um, but I did get to see like a clip from maybe even next week's episode where uh, it's a really funny exchange where one of them is sitting in a bathtub and the other is sitting on the toilet and the one on the toilet is on the phone leaving a voicemail that's like everything's under control and then the one in the 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 one in the um, tub is like no it's not it's a, it's a <laughs> massive disaster so then the one on the phone's like repeating everything he's saying but that's not what he wants him to do it's a really funny little bit and i saw that and was like oh okay so they're okay so there's something going on with them are they vampires um i'm just gonna leave that as a mystery okay um yeah but to answer your original question no, well i'll say I don't i'll say this feel they, that are, I have, they are not vampires okay well i don't feel that i have any more understanding of them other than that now they i know that they are somehow immortal but other than that, I still have no idea who they could be aligned with, mm-hmm. um, what their intentions are, why they're after Jesse. Um, yeah, it's still a mystery to me. So I'm still well and truly in the dark when it comes to that. Well, but I do know now that they they are indestructible. So, yeah, which makes them pretty, pretty interesting moving forward, considering we have opposing forces that are both possibly immortal mm-hmm. um, with Cassidy and Fiore and DeBlanc. Well, any battle between good and evil wouldn't be interesting unless somebody was immortal. Let's be real here. True. That's very true. Um, so yeah, after after that little moment with Fiore and DeBlanc, we get a delightful intro to Cassidy in episode two. Um, him dealing with Emily, kind of trying to con her out of some money. Um, he, I mean, Cassidy is just such a charming character (laughs) in like the worst way. I think everybody has that friend that you're just like, man, I, you are a terrible person, but I just really like being around you. And I think that's, that's Cassidy for Jesse. Yeah. Um, but everybody else, we kind of, we starting to see the cracks to, um, Jesse really being a preacher in a way where he's got friends on both sides with that, you know, most people would consider bad. You know, a lot of preachers that I know, a lot of the best of them are, are friends to the, to the downtrodden, to the weak, to the addicts of the world. Very true. Um, And we're starting to see that kind of draw dividing lines among Jesse's congregation. Uh, Emily brings up the fact that Cassidy drank an entire case of sacrament wine. Um, 
and didn't fix the AC and still hasn't fixed the AC insist is just an art and a part that's on order, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is hilarious to me. The image of a, of a vampire being like, I, it's a part I'm waiting on for the AC that I fixed. (laughs) You're like, buddy, you didn't fix the AC. You're just sleeping in the attic. (laughs) Well, we, I mean, we did hear him trying to fix the AC at the end of episode one. Um, so who knows how far that actually got, whether he di- whether or not he ordered a part or if he just kind of. <laughs> I'm just loving the the little deleted scene that that could possibly be of just him yelling at someone in his in his thick Irish accent on the phone. It's a compressor. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be a that would be a great, <laughs> a great deleted scene for sure. Um, we uh, we get. A meeting that I didn't think we were going to get so soon um, in this scene. Oh, yeah. Between Ca- Eugene and Cassidy. Uh, yeah, Eugene and Cassidy. I refuse to call him Ars Face. It's not happening. Well, we get, I mean, that's kind of why he ends up named Ars Face. Is because of Cassidy? <laughs> Is because of Cassidy, <laughs> which we hear him say. Go, fr- go fucking boys walking around, Boys walking around with a face like an arse. <laughs> and so he, you know. He's the one that names Eugene Arseface. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, how that eventually happens. And we'll see if they get there. But um, yeah, I did not expect them to do that meeting in season or in episode two. Um, and Jesse, uh, Jesse, before that, tells Cassidy, you know, kind of chill out. I'm trying to put on you know, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf here. Um I don't need any trouble. And Cassidy agrees. He's like, yeah, no, 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 I'll be, um, I'll be good. I love the little, the tiny moment that we see. It's a great character moment for Cassidy that we see when Jesse's like, you know, I really like having you around, you know? And he says that and we see Cassidy almost like, well, that's a new thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost, it's something that possibly he hasn't heard. A lot. Sure. Um, which really makes who he is talking to on the phone at the uh, in the middle of episode one, right before the bar fight, mm-hmm. um, really makes me curious about that character, who that is um, and where that's headed. Because uh, they're kind of setting him up to not have many friends and he's got a mysterious friend somewhere else that knows he's a vampire. Yeah. And apparently has helped him out in the past. Yeah. I can't say that that person's really been a great friend though no that's that's true he did kind of tell him to lay low and hung up on him when cassidy asked for money um but yeah we'll i guess we'll eventually find out who that is i may i I have a couple ideas but that could go a multitude of directions Mm -hmm. um so yeah we get a small moment um tucked in between this scene and another scene that I don't really understand. I th- they're developing a storyline that's not in the comics. Um, where Eugene, our space, and his father are leaving the gathering after the church service. And uh, a couple bystanders call one of them a murderer. We don't really know who they were talking to. Um, but we see... Sheriff Root kind of turn around and, you know, be all blustery and it, mm-hmm. Eugene talks him down. Right. Um, 
I don't really know where that's going because that's not really, we don't get that much of, um, we don't get that much of Sheriff Root's background. We do get uh, a lot of ours faces. Yeah. Um, just through finding out kind of why he looks the way he looks, which we also get a little bit of that in that previous scene. Um, we find out that he tried to shoot himself. Yeah. Which, how did you take that? Um, that immediately clued me into that there was something that, uh, there was something that happened that led him to feel a lot of guilt. Um, so much so that he tried to kill himself and it didn't work and he's still dealing with guilt, but now he's also feeling like God won't forgive him. So that's why he looks the way he looks. So then when that guy said murderer, it almost makes me feel like there was some sort of like, um, I don't don't know. Was he driving drunk and he like killed someone? Um, yeah, it's, there's definitely something that has happened that he probably didn't do on purpose, but I, I, that's also just me liking that character right now. But you told me last week that that might not always be the case. So I don't know right now. I feel like something happened that he was at fault for, but it maybe necessarily like wasn't an, a malicious or intentional thing. Mm-hmm. And then he felt guilty. So then he tried to kill himself and he failed. So now he looks like he does and he still feels guilt, but he also now feels like God hasn't finished punishing him enough. So hmm. he's just stuck looking that way. So that's, that's where I'm at with it. Interesting. Um, I read that a different way, but I think that may just be a little bit of not trying to put puzzle pieces together because I already know his backstory. Hmm. Um, I really just felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that he places most of his guilt on the fact that he tried to commit suicide, and there is such a stigma of suicide in the church. Oh, sure, yeah. In re- you know, in religious yeah. circles, that that you know, if you com- try to commit suicide, you are going to hell, or if you commit suicide, you go to hell. Um, that's that you're basing that off what you know. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, different. And that's where I'm viewing a lot of his guilt coming from um but you know like any adaptation they they could very well change that and the murderer that these bystanders are talking about could be arseface i don't know at this point um but i thought that was a an interesting little scene of just like hey we're just going to set something up here um and i found it really interesting that they didn't really deal with that for the rest of the episode um really at all uh, we don't really get too much more interaction with Sheriff Hugo Root. I'm sure we will. Uh, we definitely will. He's he's going to be a major character moving forward. Um, be interesting to see kind of where they take him. Um, so yeah, coming out of that, we get uh, pretty much what I would call the A story of this episode. Uh, which is Jesse meeting with a member of his congregation named Linus. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Yeah, this just made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, this whole scene was... I love that it kind of starts out with him saying, I just can't 
forget her and you think immediately, oh, this guy's just dealing with a breakup or something like that. And man, does that conversation devolve from there. It's such a really great representation of how askew a lot of people's views on religion are. Like they just, it's it's just a really honest interpretation, I think, of how too often people think that it's it's something as simple as, oh, I just go and I just tell this guy these things because he can't tell anybody else, so I'm not going to get in trouble for it. And dumping all of that on this other person lightens my load for a couple of hours, maybe a couple of days. Mm-hmm. The sin is still there, though. That doesn't That doesn't take away the sin. It doesn't absolve you of it. You're still going to commit it. Even if you're committing it in your heart, it's still a sin. But this guy honestly thinks like, oh, I feel so much better now that I've told someone else this dirty, dirty secret. Mm -hmm. And he misses the mark completely. And Jesse even tells him like, Jesse even knows immediately like you're using this for the like you're not doing this right. This is not how any of this works. Yeah. Also, um, this is a fucking problem. You just told me that you are lusting after a child. This is a fucking problem. Yeah. Um, but the guy just has such a he's so he has such a skewed view on it and that he was so happy to have told someone else like I, there's there there was it's like a dual reaction I had. Well, not even dual. I would say like 80 percent of me was really, really fucking uncomfortable. But then like the remaining 10 to 20 percent of me was like he doesn't have to carry this around anymore by himself. Mm-hmm. And he does act like there is like this actual like he has this person he can go to and tell these things to. And for him, I'm sure that's a wonderful feeling. But the fact that it's he's telling someone that he wants to molest a child is horrifying. Yeah. And any time this storyline was touched on in this episode, I immediately was uncomfortable. It was just like, I don't want to know how this ends. Yeah. The and other... then when you see how it ends, you're like, oh, my God. Because the uh, we'll and we'll get to the sequence, but like when Jesse goes to his house and is like walking around, I legitimately was horrified that he was going to walk in on that dude doing yep, something. Totally. And I was just like, I can't watch the screen. Like I can't look at this because if this guy actually went through with what he earlier in the episode admitted that he was like so close to doing, I would I wouldn't have been able to watch it. I would have been like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Can't watch this episode. Um. So I thought that there was a nice little wrap up of it. And I'm I'm going to probably I'm going to just assume this is not a part of the comic. No. OK. Um, but I do feel that it serves a necessary purpose. Yes. Kind of like with uh, with Ted. Um, this is kind of just another demonstration of Jesse's power. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's giving you extraordinary instances in order for him to use it. Yeah, and I really, so I really, I'm, I don't mind that it's not a part of the comic canon. I don't really care. I think it did a great job of setting up Jesse actually realizing I have the ability now. I need to do something about it. Yeah, well, I think, and we'll get to this, but I think it's a brilliant way for him to realize that he has something going on with him because right. we don't even really know. Given the church gathering, we hear other people talk about Ted Ryerson. And cutting out his own heart. Mm -hmm. But we don't really know that Jesse knows that. And we don't really know if he's connected those dots. And so as we move on through the episode, we kind of see him 
start to connect those dots. And I think it's a brilliant way for them to kind of approach that, which we'll get to when we reach that last sequence um, there at the end. But <clears throat> we, speaking of his power, the next scene that we get is him sitting out on his porch and there's uh, a dog barking, um, which again, the sound mix in this episode, um, we get those little small jokes again, but we have this dog barking and I was watching this episode and at that scene, I was just like, that dog is so annoying. <laughs> like I wanted to shout, shut up. And the scene ends with Jesse yelling quiet and the dog immediately going silent. But Jesse kind of realizing like, whoa, that was weird. And he, it, there's that moment in episode one where he's like, looks at Ted and he's like, wait, did you hear that? After he speaks and he, he, he knows something's up, but he, doesn't really he can't quite admit to himself um i guess what happened in that church in episode one when the the force <laughs> thing hit him <laughs> to bring star wars into it but um <laughs> so yeah he tells the dog to be quiet the dog immediately goes silent and jesse just kind of accepts it um but coming out of that we get the introduction to Odin Quincannon. Um, did you enjoy seeing your boy Jackie Earl Haley? I did. Yeah, I didn't. I almost didn't recognize him at first. That was really? quite pleasant. Yeah, I almost did not recognize him at first. Um, I mean, he looks pretty much like he always looks. Yeah, but there's some, I don't know. There was something that I don't know if it's just a testimony to how fabulous of an actor he is, but his whole like his body language just he he looks. Uh, he, he, well, and to be quite blunt, he looks a little, uh, he looks a little, uh, more filled out than he usually does. Usually he look he tends to look a little gaunt. Um, mm -hmm. he looks a little, uh, he looks really healthy and his hair's a little bit, uh, his hair's a little bit whiter than it usually is. Um, his hair is kind of actually sometimes salt and pepper. He has like white hair almost. Mm -hmm. Um, the glasses are a nice touch. Um, the glasses, glasses love, are straight out of the I comic. Love, 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 love. Already, I know a lot about this character, uh, and just him sitting and explaining the terms of a contract to sell a piece of or to buy a piece of land. I already know that he has he has set in this exact position and delivered this exact spiel probably countless times before, and he knows that all he has to do is just use math and big words to these small-minded, simple folk because they're not going to understand what the fuck he's saying. But mm -hmm. they already, but they know like, oh, he's got a suitcase full of money that we could really use. So he's just going to say this spiel that he said countless times. So he does it with this air of just like indifference. And he's got this whole army behind him uh, that just sort of stand there and just kind of stare these people down. Um, and then that's it, you know. Wipes his hands, stands up, leaves the room. Gets back in his limo. Gets back in his limo and drives away. So already I know that this man has probably been doing business like this for a long, long time, which means he's very likely uh, very smart and that he knows how to manipulate people. And he's probably very ruthless if he's ever challenged, which it doesn't seem like he's challenged a lot because it's again, it's he delivers this whole spiel with this just air of just like I've said this. 
they have no idea. They don't understand what I'm saying. All they know is that I'm giving them a suitcase full of money. Yeah. And I'm just going to say all of this because legally I have to. They're going to sign the paper. I'm going to sign the paper. I'm going to get the hell out of here. We're going to bulldoze this place down. We're going to put in a mini mall. You know, he's kind of like that kind of character. So already I know that about him. Yeah, um, I love that they just leave the family, like the entire possessions of the family just in the yard. Outside, and then they yeah. just bulldoze this house down. And he just gets in the limo and drives away. Yeah, they just leave him there. Yeah. Um, the the character of that sequence that I was most like, oh, this guy might be a son of a bitch that we might need to watch out for. I don't know if it's his son, but Danny, uh, the guy in the, the arm cast, mm-hmm. who just like breaks dude's nose because... Donnie. Donnie just breaks this moving guy's nose just because the guy like bent down and picked up a pen for him. Like that tells me also a lot about that character and that he has a tremendous amount of ego and a lot of pride. Uh, So that's what made me think that he was Odin's son because, you know, that he's maybe set to inherit the family business and maybe his father never thought he was worthy. I don't know. I read a lot into this, obviously. Yeah, you're getting Um, very Game of Thrones on it. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, He he is not Odin's son. Mm. Um, Odin, for a couple reasons, doesn't have kids. Um, That's as vague as I can be while still explaining something. Okay. (laughs) Um, And hinting towards something else. Uh, Yeah, I love that presence that you get of Odin Quinn Cannon, that he is like, he's a major force in this community. Um, he is a powerful man that knows what he's doing and has taken huge advantage of this small town. Um, and it's where, uh, now we find out that it's where Donnie and his wife work. Cause his wife worked there in episode one when Jesse went to see her. Wait, that was the, the meat. That's Donnie. Yeah. Holy God. He looked totally different. Well, he, I mean, he's, he is rather bruised. Oh, my God. I, I, why did I? I watched this episode twice, Josh, and I don't know why. It just now hit me. That's Donnie. Really? Yeah. It, I don't know if it's because his hair was different. His hair, he looked, he looked very per, like put together. Mm-hmm. Whereas the two times I saw him. The two, I mean, the couple of times you see him in the first episode, I don't feel like he was all. He came across very redneck. Felt, yeah, I felt like yeah. his hair was longer too, May, and maybe it was because it was the pilot. Maybe I don't know. Well, and I just I, now realized. Wow, I can't believe that that's completely slipped by me. That's why his arm was in a cast because he just he got. Oh my god. Yep, because okay. he had just made a sound like a rabbit or whatever, whatever he said, Je- it was. Sound Jesse. like a rabbit. Yeah, maybe sound rabbit like a rabbit. Trap. Yeah. Um, Holy crap. Wow. That just blew my mind. Yeah. And that goes to a little bit of the backstory of this show, I guess. I know that after the pilot um, was shot and then picked up by AMC, they pivoted a lot of the show as to what they were doing. And there was a good there was a good chunk of time between the time they shot the pilot and the time they shot the rest of these episodes. Um, that makes sense because so that that's probably why he looks looks a little different something something was different and i don't know if it's just that he looked more clean cut maybe i don't know well and i also don't think he kind of played it with the same twang and charisma 
yeah. that he had in yeah, episode yeah, yeah. one, which is a, a, yeah. a big difference. True. And then, I mean, there's little subtle differences throughout the whole episode. Cassidy's hair is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tulip's hair is different. Yeah, Even Tulip. Jesse's hair is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and the makeup on Ars face is slightly different. It's a little grosser in this mm-hmm. episode. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. And they kind of outlined all of his, um, uh, what would you call those, wrinkles? Yeah. They kind of outlined all his wrinkles in red, which made them very much more prominent, mm-hmm. uh, which was a little disturbing. I don't know. It just it, His makeup uh, in his earlier scenes kind of weirded me out. Um. So, yeah, that's our introduction to Odin Quincannon, who I can pretty confidently say is going to end up being a major player as well in what happens in the town of Anvil um, throughout season one. Um, Next, we catch Jesse out in the community um, trying to uh, bring people into the church. He's handing out flyers. He's talking to people. Um, We see the yellow school bus drive past him. You get that ominous, mm. um, ominous foreshadowing. Uh, and then he returns to his car. Um, I, I kind of thought that when he, the way that scene was set up, I thought when he was going back to his car, he, he was, was going to go follow the bus. Yeah. He was going to go straight to so Linus's house or yeah. follow the bus or something. Yeah. Um, just the expression on his face kind of drew me there. Uh, but I want to feel like that was his intention. And then, it probably it very well could have been. And then he looks down and he doesn't have a steering wheel. Yeah. And goodness knows what that interaction would have been like. It probably would have been much less intense uh, than what we get at the end. Um, B.S. Tulip steals his steering wheel. Uh, she's trying to get him to do this mysterious job. We get a little more info about that. Um, she's working with somebody outside of town. That really wants her to steal something. Um, so we get a little bit more of Jesse's past. That they've kind of... They've stolen things. In the past. And that's all I'll say. Okay. About that. Um, but yeah. Presumably Jesse gets his steering wheel down off of that lamppost. Because... Next, we find him back at the church. Um, Cassidy meets him outside. And I love that moment that Cassidy is like, you know, you've had a long day. Um, Come inside, your dinner's getting cold. And he holds up the bottle of whiskey and just kind of shakes it at him. Um, Yeah, Jesse and Cassidy sit and talk uh, kind of about I guess each other and, and really their feelings on the purpose of life and the purpose of each of their lives. Cassidy comes down on the side of really thinking that his life doesn't really have any purpose. He's kind of given up on a lot of that. But Jesse and his newfound mission is really holding on to his. And this is almost Cassidy trying to talk him out of it um, in a way. Uh, what did you think of the, of this interaction between them? Um, I just thought from a character standpoint, it was really interesting that there, that this was a conversation that was being had between a vampire and a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, cause of course a vampire would, would say, you know, I don't know how old Cassidy is. I'm, I'm assuming he's lived quite a bit of life. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that he's, you know, having this conversation of like, without saying too much, without him just flat out saying, listen, bub, I've been around a long time and I can tell you that this doesn't have any meaning whatsoever. If it did, I would have already found it. Like without him coming out and just saying it, which he actually does come out and say vampire, mm-hmm. um, which I actually really loved. Um, I love that moment. I love that moment. But without him coming out and saying, I'm a vampire and I can tell you that this doesn't have any meaning. I thought that was interesting that he was just like conveying, look, like my mission, like you feel your mission that God put you here to do is to do this. My mission is God put me here to tell you that your mission is shite. Mm-hmm. Um because it, it's essentially it's been, it doesn't mean like anything. The stupid, yeah. the stupidest mission he's ever heard in yeah. his life, or something yeah. like that. So I did love though that he just came right out and said he was a vampire in the middle of this long diatribe, and then of course Jesse stuck onto that one thing. It was just like, oh, a vampire. But at that point, well, Cassidy is like, it's like it's ir- it's irrelevant. <laughs> We're having a conversation about you. We're not talking about me. Well, and they get hung up on the Big Lebowski too, which this is, is true, yeah, r- really great. Um, but yeah, I love that moment for Cassidy of him just throwing it straight out there. Like, yeah, I'm a vampire and I've got all these religious nuts after me and yada, yada, yada. And just keeps going on and on and on. And then Jesse just completely dismisses all of that because he's just like, yeah, that's not real. When they're talking about God and they're talking about Jesse believing in God, Mm -hmm. um, and Cassidy dismissing it equally. I think I think yeah. that it's such a great yeah. character moment, yeah. and and, and a, a friend, vampire and a preacher sit down and talk about God. Yeah, and a friendship building moment. Yeah, uh, for those two, for sure, um, that they can meet in that middle ground and, uh, and just drink whiskey together, mm-hmm. um, and then whatever that concoction that <laughs> Cassidy makes, um, that just knocks Jesse right out at the I end like of the scene. The big Lebowski, and then yeah. it just completely falls over. And then he's just like, oh, that's a shite film. <laughs> uh, steals his wallet and drives off. Uh, God, it's a, it's a great moment. It's, I mean, it's, it feels fairly contrived to me just in order for them to have the scene that comes next. Um, but I still really enjoyed it in how it played. Yeah. Uh, I thought it played really well. Um, so yeah, right before the commercial break, we get Fiore and DeBlanc at the hotel. They have this weird interaction with the housekeeper. Poor little housekeeper. Yeah, that was... That was she was so scared. Yeah, just asking, do you want one tell or two? And he's just two? going, no. No. She's like, Senora, ask if you want one tell or two. And he says, no. And then she sees the gun and she's like, okay, buenas noches. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go now before you kill me. Yeah, and then we get... Um, they're stuffing something into a box, which I'll admit, um, because of the way this episode started, I thought was something else. Uh, oh, okay. It was not. Okay. But the scene that we get after this is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And so wonderful. Um, they go to Jesse's church and they find him passed out on the floor. Because Cassidy apparently isn't one to help people get to bed when they passed out drunk. Um. But he, this little like ritual they go through is that is that part of is that canon is that part of the comics? It is not. Okay, I was really wondering that because I was like, 
Did they just come up? Did they make up a tune to lyrics that were in the comic books? Like, no. What is well, this? he's singing. He's singing the poem "Ink and Blinkin' and Nod." Oh, okay. Which is a, like a classic poem. I've never heard it sung before, uh, which was really bizarre. What is it supposed to do? Um, what I presume they thought it was going to do, um, was basically humanely suck whatever is in Jesse out of him and contain it in that coffee can. <laughs> um, okay. Obviously it doesn't work. No. Um, so who knows, you know, where that came from in Sam Catlin's mind. Uh, but that, that whole sequence, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a musical now. <laughs> this show is taking a le- another left turn. Uh, yeah, that part was so weird. Uh, but I love that their backup plan was the chainsaw to cut it out of him. Yeah. Uh, and the shot really at the beginning of the sequence really kind of awesomely sets that up where we start seeing whatever it is inside of him. You know what that reminded me of? What's that? It reminded me of Hannibal. Ah, yes. Because we had sometimes I like could see that. on Hannibal, right? We had those the sometimes shots. Super of micro like shots. The, yeah, super micro shots of like inside someone's body of a heartbeat or something lodged in a throat. I saw that and I immediately was like, oh my God, memories, <laughs> Hannibal. Yeah, this is this one's. Pulsing and this one's pulsing crying and like a, a baby. Fist comes out of it at one point. Like I was watching. Oh, I didn't catch that. A fist that forms a fist that comes out. Oh man! And then it opens and then pulls back in. It's crazy. Crazy. And it sounds like a baby. Yeah. Yeah, we get a, more more of the baby screams. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they they fire is it the screams of the unborn, or is it the screams of like children that have died? Um, does it go? Does the comic ever tell you? I'm, I'm, it tells you what that is. Yes. Oh, it does. Oh yeah. The oh. comic does tell you what, what that is. I, um, I will refrain. Okay. I will remain silent. Well, just remind, the fifth. remind me at the, the end fifth. of the season, if they don't address it, you need to tell me. I think we're definitely going to find out before the end of the season, what that is. Okay. I think you will find out what that is. Um, yeah, but why it makes that sound? That's yes, you will find. I think you will find oh, that out. Okay, all yes. right. Okay, um, it's it's pretty integral to what that is. Okay. Try, try, try. Be <laughs> It's really tough. Uh, yeah, so they they fire up the chainsaw, and we get one of my favorite action scenes I've ever <laughs> seen on television. Uh, I mean, it's. It's funnier than anything we got on Hannibal. I feel like if but you put, it was it was pretty daggum close to something yes, like yeah. the end of season two of Hannibal, where we get the knife fight between Hannibal and Jack Crawford. Yeah, uh, as far as really as brutal, bloody, really bloody, and really brutal, uh, but also funny. I feel like if you turn the sound off and you just played the um, what's that song? The you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. If you just put the sound off and played that over it, I feel like it would be the funniest shit. Because it is gory. It's really yeah. bloody. It's really, really, really brutal. But it's also... Re- it's, it's like so has, haphazard. It has, it's haphazard. It has a lot of slapstick comedy to it. Whoever choreographed that fight, kudos to you. Because it's just the perfect blend of like intentional 
really practice violence and then just like, I'm just going to swing and see what happens. Yeah. Um, which is great because I feel like that's Cassidy's fighting style to a T. It's just I'm going to swing and hope for the best. Well, I mean, a little bit. But we did get that awesome action sequence in episode one where we see him really. He's able to handle oh, himself. Sure. But he's, uh, really he's resourceful. Well. Like he, he, he is resourceful. He, he yes. improvises. I will give you that. Which I appreciate about him. He improvises really, really well on his feet. Um, which you see a little bit happening in this episode with this fight scene, too. Mm-hmm. Just in how he's avoiding the chainsaw. Um, he, yeah, he gets some. Sma- he gets in the good licks, but they get in some good licks on him too. Smacking uh, <laughs> one of them, I can't remember if it's Fiore or DeBlanc, but smacking him with the Bible just over yes. and over, just like basically Sma- beating him bit, to death with a Bible. Face in with a Bible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it gives new meaning to the term Bible beater, but <laughs> um, especially when it's a vampire. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and one of the things I really loved it's it's a great. Uh, the best action sequences, I think, in either movies or television are either story, they build the story or they build character. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just action for action's sake. They actually have a purpose for what you're watching and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think moving forward, this scene is only going to get better as people start to understand what is going on with Fiore and DeBlanc um, and and knowing what we already know about Cassidy. Right. Um, again, trying to be purposely vague. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a great character moment um, for those three and especially Cassidy uh, to show that he can he can be that resourceful, come up against something that uh, is pretty strong and still come out on top. I think it's a, it's a great character moment for him. This fight sequence is not in the comics. Oh. No, no. Okay. <laughs> it caught me so by surprise. Uh. Uh, but I loved every minute. I loved Cassie, Cassidy's little monologue coming into it. I love that they shot him before he finished his monologue. <laughs> uh, I love the Bible beating moment. I love... Uh, the chainsaw carrying the arm up towards Jesse and Cassidy <laughs> yes. trying to get that to it, but very, slipping in the massive pools of blood. That was very Night of the Evil Dead. Like that was very, that was very much like a, a Bruce Campbell sort of gag for me. Yeah. Like anything Sam Raimi, just like a chainsaw moving an arm up a church aisle, like slick in blood. That was trying a, to cut a yeah, passed out cut, a passed out drunk preacher drunk, in half. Yeah, a drunk preacher in half. That was like very Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Night of the Evil you Dead. Explain for it me. like that way. It's like this. This show is impossible to explain to somebody because you just yeah. you start with that yeah. and they're like, "Wait, what's what? it about?" So you're like, "So imagine this meets this, but then throw in a dash of Bruce Campbell, and that's Preacher." Oh man, uh, yeah, I loved that action sequence. I thought it was so great. Um, and I'm not talking sorry, like taking LSD at the bullfight. Sorry. Or no, taking LSD before the rodeo. Yeah, taking LSD last night at the rodeo. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, it was a great... Uh, and Cassidy just passes out on Jesse's leg and is just like, nope, no preacher, no trouble at all. <laughs> uh, after he promised Jesse to be good. And then something like this happens, which I mean, he is doing something good. He saved in this, his friend. He is saving yeah. his friend's he life. He saved his friend. Um, 
but it's just something that (laughs) he's just one of those friends like you said earlier he's just one of those friends who always has like the best intentions but their execution is always wrong he can't do anything right always they're always doing something just so terrible but you're like and you're like you're you're kind of legitimately a horrible person but i i want to be around you because you're actually (laughs) you're kind of a great person too yeah it's just not your fault sometimes the way that you handle situations like you're legitimately kind of dumb or you're legitimately just a magnet for this sort of shit. Um, yeah, he, Cassidy he does is kind assume, of that friend yeah. where he's just a magnet, I feel like, for just <laughs> he's just a magnet for trouble. Well, he does assume at the beginning of the scene that they are there for him. Right. You know, he thinks <laughs> yeah. it's this religious, yeah, tr- the group, religious that's group that's after, after him. him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we we as the audience know better. They're they're really after Jesse. Um, but yeah, so the, Cassidy stops him. He massive pools of blood all over the floor. And all of that happens in the middle of the episode. Yeah. That's not even the end of the episode. Nope. There's it's, still a lot more to go. That's what I say. It feels like an episode where like this episode should, should have been or could have been like, like three, three episodes. episodes. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it should have been. I think this episode standing on its own is great. Yeah. Um, I'm cannot wait to see what they do next because if they pack this much crazy into every episode we are on for a ride um but yeah it's something that would feel like the very cap of an episode um and it happens right in the middle uh the next scene we get is uh tulip um playing some poker at a whorehouse in the middle of Texas, with all of Odin was it the Quinn best Cannon's little boys. house in Texas, though? Oh Lord! <laughs> and I walked right into that one. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. So Tulip, <laughs> Tulip is kicking Odin Quinn Cannon's men's asses. You know, like you at do poker when you're Tulip. Yeah, no big deal. Um, we get a, a pretty intense character moment for her here. Uh, there's not much to talk about in this scene, but she she has a pretty intense monologue at the end of it, which also feels like something that would be at the end of an episode. Sure. Um, and it's hard to remember that, like, you know, these things are happening in the middle. And, and I lose track of time watching this episode because I almost think like, oh, this is, you know, this is the end of the episode. And it's like, no, it's only 25 minutes into it. You still get another half hour. Left of all this crazy. <laughs> um, what did you think about her monologue? Um, I think she was totally telling the truth. Oh, yeah. I yeah. 100% believe yeah, that. She, she totally, that, that totally happened. Um, she's just such a survivalist. Um, she has learned to consolidate and mm. repress like it's like it's like breathing for her. She's just, that's just how she lives. Like, that's just, that's how she survives. Um, Everything is made light of. Everything is joked about. Um, But I also love that there's that, that there's that lovely little layer of putting him in his place Mm -hmm. by pulling a sympathy card, Mm -hmm. but then taking back the power by saying that she's joking or by saying I'm funny, right? Yeah. Um, and breaking out into her smile that she has that's so charming and mischievous at the same time. Um, well, we already know what her definition of fun is. Like she she has she has she has learned how to 
use these really fucked up stories that she has. I I see um, a lot of Tulip's characterization. I see in uh, Vanessa in Deadpool, um, oh, specifically the yeah. character of Copycat. Um, not just Vanessa in the movie, but if you're familiar with the comics, Copycat in the comics is a lot like that character. Huh. Um, she's very street smart. She's very tough, really hard around the edges. But she has learned to take her past and all of the really terrible things that have happened to her. She uses that as a weapon to at first seem soft and sympathetic. And once she endears someone to her, she either uses it as a the punchline of a joke or she uses it to her advantage to take what she needs mm-hmm. um, by by presenting herself as a sympathetic cre- person so um i see i saw a lot of that especially in this episode with tulip um so i loved it i i i love tulip i i've only met her twice so far so to speak and i think she's great um and i really appreciated what the writers are doing with her which is that they are making her a, a character that is able to stand alone but still have motivation to draw Jesse back to her side. But she's not doing it in a way where she's manipulating him with sex or uh, she's trying to manipulate him with any sort of hanging a past over his head. Mm-hmm. But she is at the same time. But that's not all there is to her character. She's not just there to be heaving bosom, throwing herself at him. Yeah. She's got her own thing going on. She needs him for a very specific reason what that reason is, I still don't know. And she's using every while that she can she can possibly draw out of her arsenal and it's not working. So I can't wait to see what she thinks of next because yeah. she's very she like Cassidy is very resourceful. Uh, she can improvise. So she's tried sympathy. She's tried sex. She's tried reminding him of their past. None of these things have worked. So now she's as we see in this episode, she very much draws the. You're you you are who you are. You're just going to revert back to who you are, which is a bad man. Mm-hmm. Um, if that works, we'll see. But I'm I'm enjoying this sort of cat and mouse game they have going on. But with this particular scene, with the poker scene, I loved that moment where she drew this person in by by telling this very sad story and by reminding him of like, hey, it's not nice to laugh at this. And then she's like, I'm funny, right? Yeah. Uh, but you see it all in her eyes. Ruth is doing such a great job. Like you see it all in her eyes that she's absolutely serious. This is actually a real story. Like that actually happened. I believe 100% that her uncle ran through a parking lot and killed two kids and a billy goat. Yeah. Like I don't question that. That actually happened. But that she twisted on its head to get some, to make someone feel bad and to stop laughing at her is great. I love it. Yeah, and I I really love the role reversal of, you know, kind of the classic male archetype and the classic female archetype of, you know, the bad boy and the good girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this show, we have the guy who's really doing his best to be very good and be the, you know, the best of the best. He's trying to be the person that everyone looks up to. And here we have the bad girl who's just kind of rough around the edges tells it like it is, you know, little rough and tumble, slightly violent kind of person. And yeah, it's making that cat and mouse game that you referred to just really interesting. And I, I love that 
in this day and age in television, we are getting that kind of just, hey, we're just going to flip this on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to deal with it. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons why this show is perfect for this time. And it's it's why it got made uh, is because that's kind of something that's constantly in the cultural zeitgeist um, right now. Um, coming out of that scene, you know, she asked for a room. We don't know what it's for. You find out later. Um, who knows why Eugene is there, but, um, we, Cassidy is done cleaning up the church. Uh, so he is, he is a good friend in that way. We will say Hmm. he does. He does clean up his own messes. He's, he's, he's a good roommate. Um, but he goes to take the trunk outside to go bury it and it's sunrise. <laughs> uh, the, the capper on this scene is actually a direct quote from the comic. Was that frame of him sitting on the box in the doorway silhouetted by the sunrise? Is that a shot from the comic? Um, if not, it should have been because it's I'm gorgeous. My uh, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I know the I know the exact shot you're talking about. I'm trying. Uh, yes, but not in that context. Mm. I was trying to find the words to express that. Yeah, yes, that is that quote, that moment, that framing is, uh, but not in that context. Okay. Um, the the box is not really a part of it. And then and, and like I said earlier, that scene, the whole chainsaw fight scene is not in Never the comic happens. book. So yeah, it's right. You know, really right. that kind of thing is not um yeah. That that's them stealing a specific moment for Cassidy okay. that I really loved. And it's one of my favorite moments in the comic book, um, when it happens. So I was I really enjoyed that they gave Cassidy that little moment here. Um yeah, so Jesse wakes up, or Emily wakes Jesse up, I should, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kicks him. She kicks his butt, in a way, which is an interesting little thing for their character interaction. But uh, they have a little moment. Uh, we don't really know where Jesse is going. Uh, we know he'd scheduled a meeting, and he's taking a casserole. Um I love the moment she's like, it smells like something died here. And he's just kind of looks at her. He's like, are you sure it's not the casserole? <laughs> she just looks at him just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, my cooking is not that bad. Um, but yeah, so Jesse goes to visit this family. Um, I can't remember exactly what their name is. But it's... They say it at the beginning of the episode. Is it the Loaches? Maybe. I think it's the Loaches. Or the Loaches or something like that. Yeah. Um, But she... Emily tells him at the beginning of the episode, like, hey, you need to go visit this family. You know. Especially after everything they've been through. Which you find out what they've been through. Which... Okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong. This girl had an accident when she fell off her horse. I think she got kicked in the head. Is what the injury looked like. That's what it to looked me. like. Yeah. Shit. Okay. Um, which is hugely traumatic. Uh, yeah. You know that is 
That is something that a lot of people don't survive is a fall from a horse, let alone being kicked. Kicked, yeah. Um, and this character is... Shit, even sur- getting stepped on by one, you feel like, I might never walk again. Yeah. Um, and this character has survived. Jesse, you know, is do- he's, doing, he's doing his very best um, to be a positive influence on his town. And I loved the reversal that happens in the middle of this scene where he said what he thinks are all the right things. Uh, He's doing his best. You know, he's really trying to be a good man. Mm -hmm. And she throws all of it back in his face. Yeah. And says, like, your words aren't even worth as much as this casserole because even with it, I can feed the dog. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What did you think about? Both his monologue and her monologue in this scene. I mean, again, it goes back to this show does such a great job, I think, of expressing so many aspects of religious belief and how different people approach it. Uh, and then on the on the you know conversely of that, people that have lost their faith mm-hmm. completely because of a traumatic experience that has either happened to them or to a loved one. Um, this show really does a really fantastic job of walking a very fine line between poking fun at at people who are religious fanatics, mm-hmm. putting a mirror up to society and saying, "Look." You're looking at it the wrong way. And on the adverse of that, people who have just completely lost their faith altogether. Well, and, so, and also the people that talk about it in a positive light, because there are yeah, those characters yeah, on the show, too. Yeah, there are those characters too. on the show, yeah. too, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's done such a great job of giving us so many different aspects of, of faith and of Christianity specifically. Um, so with this particular scene, I was really touched by it um like you said jesse thought he was saying all the right things and he was you know in a way um as far as what he thought was the right things and what other people might perceive as the right things but for this one particular he was situation giving a, he was giving a sunday school answer yeah yeah for, for this particular situation for this particular parent for this mother that's probably something that she's heard countless times oh, and it's yeah. probably something that you know Maybe the the chaplain at the hospital probably told her she's heard this so many times and it's not made her daughter's eyes open. It's not brought her daughter back. Mm-hmm. And so she's just stopped believing that there's ever anything that will ever restore her daughter to what she once was. So she's completely lost her religion. Um, and I've and I've met people like that. I've known people like that. I've been in a similar boat. Um, where I've, I've been very close to losing my faith, but, um, you know, it's this show, I think does a really great job of, of, of giving us a lot of different windows into different walks of people, uh, and, in their particular journey with, with faith. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, um, I love this show's ability to blend poignancy mm -hmm. with the the absurd mm-hmm. um, and it really walks that fine line very well it's doing a really great job too in terms of um, 
it's giving Jesse a lot of obstacles that he has to come up against. First with Eugene, with Eugene asking, you know, does, is God punishing me? Does God hold grudges? Mm -hmm. And Jesse not being able to really feel like he can stand behind the answer he gives him. And then we have this moment where this woman is like, well, you know, preacher, I appreciate your words, but that's just what they are. They're just words. Um, and at the end of the day, I would rather you just leave so I can finally feed the casserole to my dogs. Um, yeah, he's almost oscillating giving, back and forth. It's giving him it's giving it's 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 presenting these really character defining moments where Jesse really has to question like, OK, do I still believe in what I believe in? Um, can I look these people in the face and say what I feel I need to say? Am I being insincere about it? And do I actually believe the words that are coming out of my mouth? Um, especially as a man of faith, that is a that's a powerful thing, um, especially as a community leader and a, mm -hmm. and a man of faith. So I'm enjoying seeing him come up against these obstacles. It's almost this like monster of the week type thing where it's like each episode. Are we going to see him meet another family who has been embattled by a, a, a severe or traumatic circumstance. How is he going to handle it? Is he going to be able to say the right thing to them? Is he is he going to be able to minister words of comfort, or is it just going to be another one of those situations where it's like he says something and they're like, "Well, thanks, preacher, but God isn't real," and he has to face like, "Do I believe that, or do I keep on this path that I feel is a noble path because I have this revived sense of purpose?" Yeah. Oh, I think Does that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think we get part of that answer in this episode because I think that has a lot to do with the way that he handles Linus, mm -hmm. um, both at the beginning of the episode, just telling him, Linus, you just got to stop sinning, man. Yeah. And then the way he we see him come back to Linus mm -hmm. and the way he treats him at the end um, is they're total opposites and i think the kind of the crux of that change is this scene with the loaches um i think it's it's going to be something that is hugely important moving forward i love that you threw in the term community leader because you may have stumbled onto some foreshadowing oh um just gonna to leave that where it is fancy um so yeah he he visits the, the loaches and is leaving their house. And he sees the magic school bus again. Uh-huh. Every um, time it made my, it made my heart sink. I, I, my heart sank and I started to feel sick. Yeah. Like any time that school bus went by. Because I was like, is this, the, is this the moment when he follows him? Is this it? No? Okay. Whew. Yeah. Oh, God. Is this the moment where he follows him? Oh, God. It's not? Okay. And I think the, there's a very specific purpose to that. Um, and we'll talk about what I think that is when we get to that scene, okay. that last scene with Linus. Because I think Seth Rogen did a fantastic job directing this episode to play against our expectations oh, yeah. in a very specific way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was great to see that scene those scenes all made me uncomfortable uh every single one um every just single one. completely um jesse's driving on his way home uh sees something in the road i don't we never find it's out a, what that is it's a, is it it's a baby carrier 
So I couldn't tell what it oh, was. Jesus. Okay, so listen to me. So the first time that I watched the episode, I thought it was a backpack. So then I freaked out because I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. Yep. Linus has done it. He's yep. finally done it. And I thought yep. it was a backpack. But upon second watch, it's a baby car seat. Which, what? Okay. The ma- so oh. then that made me think about the nature of Jesse and Tulip's relationship. <laughs> oh, they are. Um... Because then I was like, wait a minute. Okay, so sp- Spoiler alert, but not spoiler alert if you've seen the episode. So we find out who it is that abducts him in the street. It's Tulip. Surprise, surprise. But the way that she lures him out of his truck is that she puts a baby carrier in the middle of the street. He stops. He gets out. Is Is it like a carriage or is it a car seat? It's a car seat that has the little hood up on it. So like okay, when yeah, he yeah, leans yeah. around, he's leaning to see if there's a baby inside of it. Yeah. Then he realizes... Too little, too late. Okay, this is a fucking trap. Yeah. And then, so then he says, okay, and then she tases him. But that made me, that made me start thinking and theorizing, like, wait a minute. Did they have a kid or was she pregnant? Like, what is, why did she put, why did, of everything she could put in the middle of the road to distract him, why was it a baby carrot, like a baby seat? Um, like a car seat. That, okay, if they are foreshadowing that, I, uh, it's not from the comics. Okay. I will say that. Okay. Uh, in the comics, um, Tulip and Jesse's history does not involve her being pregnant. Okay. So as there's far, no As far as I remember, I, I could very well be wrong if I am, email us. But okay. as far as I can remember, she was not pregnant. Okay. Because um, then it got me down this whole like crazy. rabbit hole of thinking like, what if the reason they broke up and he moved back to Anvil was because like there was a pregnancy and then it didn't happen and it was because she was being reckless and she hurt herself somehow and he was like I can't do this anymore so she's like fuck you for leaving me when I had a miscarriage or maybe she's being reckless now because of that because of that yeah, yeah I I don't I know. I have no idea, but that's very interesting that that's a baby It's a car, car seat. seat. It's I, a car seat. Yeah. Uh, I did not catch that. I could not tell watching it on my computer yeah, screen. I had I to rewatch it. it. Yeah, yeah, I had to rewatch it, and I paid special attention, and it is definitely a car seat. Holy cow. Um, so, yeah, we I guess we will find out if that is a part of Jesse and Tulip's past in the future. Uh, but, yeah, so the point of all that being... <laughs> in the plot line of this episode is that Tulip kidnaps Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you love this scene. Yeah. Not as much as the monologue earlier. Not as much. No. Oh, interesting. I would have, I would have guessed that you like this scene more. I mean, I definitely appreciated the fact that, um, he's not chained to anything. <laughs> and she's like, you could leave anytime you want. And they have their whole exchange and then she goes to leave and he's like the key and she just kicks the chain and it's not attached to anything. She's like, I told you, you could have left the whole, you could have left if you wanted to. I mean, the girl has swagger for days. Um, then wait, it's not chained to anything. Why is he sawing through it in the next scene? Because it's attached to his, it's attached to his ankle. 
Oh my God. I thought that scene between Eugene and Jesse took place at the whorehouse. I know you mentioned that earlier and I was like, wait, no, that's at the church. Apologies. Listeners that's at the church. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say anything until we got to this point. No, it's attached to his ankle so he can't unlock it from there. But he thought that he was chained to the bed and it's not because she kicks it away from the wall yeah. and it's not attached to anything. He just thought it was. But he still had to walk home or drive home with it attached to his leg. <laughs> the chain attached to his ankle. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I I loved this scene in in the manner that it. Um, she's. I think it adds another layer of those that list of things that you talked about earlier of her trying to bring Jesse back to her side, mm-hmm. and I think. It's just she's, tactics. She's kind of pleaded with him. Yeah. She's appealed to his better nature. Yep. She's tried to make him feel sorry for her. She's used sex. Mm-hmm. And then here, she's kind of changing. She's just going to be like, I'm just going to mess with you. Um, she's going to play mind games with him um, from here on out. And uh, I, yeah, I don't... Um, I'm trying again, trying not to spoil things. Um, I think that relationship is going to get interesting, um, very interesting once Odin Quinn Cannon kind of becomes aware of Jesse Custer. Oh, God. Um, Oh, which is yeah that's uh, i can't really say anything more okay, because yeah, i think it'll give away very specific plot points for yeah, future episodes no. let's just move on um but yeah i think that that relationship's going to get more and more interesting um as it goes which i th- i mean i think we all expect it to it's it's been great up until this point if it got started to get less interesting we would all be hugely disappointed but um yeah, I think they're going somewhere very specific with that relationship. I'll put it that way. I think they're going somewhere very specific um, with the way that she's toying with him and the way that he's rebuffing her. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, we come out of the next commercial break and Jesse uh, gets a drop in from our space. Mm. Um, Got to be a better way to phrase that. Uh, but we get this really poignant moment uh, between Jesse and Eugene again uh, kind of talking about some of the things they talked about in Eugene's room in episode one yeah um, but there's a, there's a deeper deeper level of disappointment in Eugene here um, he's he feels like he's done everything he should have done and he's not being I don't want to say rewarded, he's not being answered. Yeah. Um in a way uh which I think is another layer of this show dealing with things and and people's perceptions of religion. Yeah. You know, it's uh there's a this is a negative turn for something that people a a, a lot of people believe but it's somebody from the outside applying a negative term to it there's a thing in religion called prosperity gospel which is basically that if you believe in god you will be given everything that you want 
mm-hmm. um, whether that be riches, family, like basically nothing bad will happen to you. Right. And that is that is kind of collected under a term of prosperity gospel. Um, and here we see our space, Eugene. I'm trying to be nicer to him. <laughs> he, we see Eugene struggling with that. He feels that he he was given a piece of advice by Jesse in the first episode, which was come back to church. Mm-hmm. And he came back and Jesse had told him God doesn't hold grudges. And Eugene still doesn't know because he thought he's doing everything right and he still can't hear God's voice. Yeah. Um, which is just a great really sad moment but it is perfect for jesse in what he's dealing with right there what tulip has said in the scene before um what the loaches told him earlier and what cassidy argued early on in the church Mm -hmm. um we that progression you know call it the b story you know the bigger arc for the season what he's dealing with uh across this episode is so well done in just the characters that are around him and the different ways they view God and, you know, what you have listed out as, you know, the way people re- view religion and the way people view the church. And this show is just attacking it head on um, through character and through story, which is fantastic. I love that this show is on television doing that. I don't feel like anything anything else is trying to do that this day and age. Um, people are so black and white, and here's a show that's kind of painting in grays. And I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, I love that scene. Um, like I said, it's a big character moment for Jesse. He kind of comes to the realization that he is a bad man. And... He goes to do something bad to somebody that he probably considers a worse man. Um, yeah, I was on edge this whole scene. Yeah, I really, I like you. I really thought that he was going to walk in on something that I really didn't want to yeah, see didn't or see. think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. The scene plays out differently. Uh, Jesse basically threatens to baptize Linus again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dunks him in the water over and over, and it's that slow buildup that you know the voice is coming. Yeah. But you don't know what it's going to tell him to do. He dunks him in, like, scalding hot water, too. Like, he turned that yeah. he turned that water on hot, mm-hmm. and it was steaming, and Linus knew it. Yeah. Um, but I love that slow buildup to the... I mean, did you feel that, that the the voice was coming at some point in that scene? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had no doubt. Yeah. But you were just really feeling the tension of wondering what he was going to tell him to do. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And one of the things I think is wonderful about this episode is that the whole time, since the first time we met Linus, we wanted Jesse to do something really bad to him. Mm -hmm. We wanted him to give him the... um, the Ted Ryerson treatment. And here he simply tells him to forget her. The horrifying thing about Linus's response 
And I don't know. A part of me wants to feel like it was just the writing and it, it was just not, it was not meant to be played that way. But also there's a part of me that feels like the writing was very intentional because when he says, I want you to forget the girl, Linus's response when in his confusion, he doesn't say, he, he specifically says, which girl? The language is oh very specific. I didn't catch that. The verbiage is very specific. So I noticed it in the second rewatch. Um, oh, man. Ow. And it made me, it took away any feeling of triumph that I might have had where it was like, yes, use that power, erase her memory from his mind. And he says, what have you done to me? And I, and he says, I, I just told you to forget about the girl. And Linus says, which girl, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I don't know if it was just that that was meant to be a generalization of like, you know, which girl, what girl. But I feel like if it had been what girl, they would have just written it as what girl. Yeah. What are you talking about? But instead, it was a very specific, I feel like a choice to for him to say which girl what are you talking about? And when he said that, it stole any sick joy that I might have had of him, of Jesse doing this thing because it was like, shit. Yeah. Are there others? <laughs> um, you've, you've taken the memory of the one, but are there others that we need to be worried about? Um, and is that, is that how that works? Is it a blanket sort of thing where the voice of the Holy Spirit just like takes away everything? I don't know. Um, no, it's always very literal. Yeah. I will say that yeah. about the, it, it's like, you know, Ted, uh, Ted Ryerson in the first episode, they tells him, you know, open your heart. It's, it's mm -hmm. always literal. Um, yeah. and that makes that statement horrifying that he says, which girl I did not catch that. I read the scene, um, differently. That for me was almost a, uh, an Oh no moment for Jesse. Like I had kind of immediately moved off of Linus and wanting something bad to happen to Linus. I was kind of like, okay, he's forgotten. That's fine. I felt really bad for Jesse because I was, because the way Linus reacted to it and was like, what did you do to my brain? Like, why are you here preacher? Mm -hmm. Um, all of that. I was just like, oh no, this is going to, this is the start of a lot of problems for Jesse. I think. Um, because not everyone is on his side all of a sudden, you know, we've had this whole episode where he's trying to do his best and people are just rejecting him for his ideology mm -hmm. in a way. But here's somebody that is like, Hey, something weird is happening with this preacher and every crazy thing that we saw in this episode, it's that all is going to come into play. Um, which moving into the next scene, uh, Cassidy is burying what we think is Fiore and DeBlanc. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts back to the hotel and we see that Fiore and DeBlanc are still alive. <laughs> so like that's back into play. And so yeah. these, these cards are stacking up against Jesse Custer. Mm -hmm. And this, I think was the beginning of it. Um, in the area of 
people, uh, everyday people in the town. Mm-hmm. And that's what really scared me for Jesse. Um, yeah, who knows where that one's going to go. That's, a, that's another storyline that's not not in the comic book at all. Thankfully, it wasn't. I would. There, There's worse stuff in the comic book than <laughs> a potential pedophile. Uh, I did not catch the witch, so we'll see if that comes back into play. Yeah. I, I really don't want it to. Yeah. That, that whole storyline made me so uncomfortable. But again, it just shows Seth Rogen's directing prowess to each time you see that school bus, it makes you so uncomfortable. Yeah. And you just want something bad to happen to Linus. Yeah. And something very bad happens to him. But it's not we wanted it we wanted him to get Ted Ryerson and he just forgets. And I think that's pre- I mean it's pretty brilliant yeah. on the part of the writer and the director to, to build that moment in that way. Um yeah, we'll see where that one goes moving forward. But um so yeah, like I said, Cassidy's burying Fiore and DeBlanc, but he's not actually burying Fiore and DeBlanc. They are alive and well talking to Sheriff Root. Um, and we cut to the next morning. Uh, Jesse is back at the Loach's house. Um, and he just asks to pray over the little girl. I knew what he was up to. Oh, totally. Totally. I, I mean, it's he's testing himself. Yep. He's going like, what is this thing that I have? And can I make it fix my most recent big failure. Yeah. Um, and the short answer is we don't know. It. Uh, my guess is yes. <laughs> my guess is, is well, yes. Well, I saw the next week on. Yeah, she uh, opened her eyes. She opens her eyes. Uh, I don't know that she does much more than that, though. Well, I, I mean, think, like I, I said, it's, has, it's always literal. literal. I think it's he has always to be very literal. specific, yeah. Uh, I found myself, because I... Having read the comics, I understood the voice in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that he was going back there, mm-hmm. I found myself throughout that whole scene going, right, what's he going to tell her to do? What's he going to tell her to do? How, how, how could I phrase a sentence in a way to make this situation work out perfectly? <laughs> <laughs> and then when he was just like, open your eyes, I was like, Oh shit! Oh, you have and to it, be more specific. Yeah, and then and they don't give you the reverse of that, which is great. They leave it on that cliffhanger, right? Um, but and it's a it's a great moment that I found myself in that that time just going like, how can I phrase this? How could I use this power to <laughs> fix this girl? Um, and, Je- and Jesse's not quite there yet. Um, he doesn't quite understand what he has, mm-hmm. uh, but he's beginning to discover it, and the consequences of that. Um, be very interesting to see because I mean it really is like one of those superpowers. Uh, it's kind of like the the man in uh, the man the purple man, Jessica Jones. Yeah. Um, will Jesse become the purple man or will Jesse use his power for good? Yeah. Um, and when he has he's influences, just, he's like have to be very careful what he says. I mean, and how yeah, he, says he, it. he has influences like Cassidy and Tulip around him it's this is not oh god who knows where this will go a devil and the devil on his shoulder yeah a Um, holy man with two devils on his shoulder 
yeah, we shall see where this goes. Uh, but I'm I'm super excited for episode three. Uh, I think it's entitled Possibilities, hmm. um, which obviously the, we're talking about the possibilities of having that power. Um, but yeah, well, that wraps up episode two uh, of Preacher. Uh, you can catch us online. My Twitter handle is Josh B Carter. What is yours, Britt Bird? Mine is Britt L Bird. That's Bird with a Y. Um, you can catch us on uh, online if you want to actually like listen to the podcast. Um, it's uh, holysmokespodcast.com. Mm-hmm. This is can, where all of our, our mm-hmm. episodes are hosted. You can find us on Twitter at holysmokespod. Yes. Um, and then if you have questions, corrections... Things you want to argue with us. Yeah. Uh, any, anything please, of that nature. Yes, please. Yeah. You can reach out to us at holysmokespod at gmail.com. Um, I promise you we will read it. Yeah. We'd love to hear your um, thoughts. We will probably respond. Uh, most likely on air. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can reach us there at holysmokespod at gmail.com. Um, but yeah. Any further thoughts? Uh, none, no. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, so it's episode two. See you next week. <laughs>